Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to see a good crowd. Thank you. Thank you that you didn't go away for the weekend. <laughs> Let's commit ourselves to the Lord. Our Father, we thank you and praise you that we can come and we can join together and that we can sing praises to our God. We can worship, we can bow down, we can lift our hearts to you, Father. May your precious word touch our hearts today, we pray. May what you have to say to us really resonate with us. And may it be accomplished in us, Father, we pray. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for reading the scriptures, Jordan. What a joy it is to open God's word. What I want to bring to you today, I've called a call we must heed. And it is a call that we must heed. It is something that we really need to listen to. Um, when we brought our last message in uh, Isaiah chapter 61, we introduced it as being the gospel in the Old Testament. And certainly, as you would have heard from the scriptures that have been read this, already this morning, the essence of the gospel is in the book of Isaiah. There is a, the heart of God reaching out to people, reaching out to sinners and wanting to do something about it. And as we in Isaiah chapter 1 and verses 18 to 20, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. There's a great offer, a great promise, and there's also a great warning, and we really need to take heed. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now. It's a double imperative. Come and come now. God is calling for an immediate response. This is not something that he wants you to put off till next week. If it's an issue, it needs to be dealt with today. It's an authoritative call. God is calling every sinner. Every sinner on the face of the earth, God is calling. And he's calling you. And he's calling me. He could simply deal with our sin. He could judge us and condemn us. And that would be the end of it. And none of us would have a word of complaint. One day we will stand before his judgment throne. And when he speaks, we will be silent. People think that they might stare God down and call him to account. We can't even stare the sun down. And he created it. So what chance have we got? 
He, he, he expects a response from us. And the thing is, the wonderful thing is that he's seeking to bless. His desire is not to condemn, his desire is to bless. He reaches out in grace, he reaches out in love, he reaches out in infinite patience. He has been reaching out from the time he first went seeking and said, Adam, where are you? He's been reaching out and reaching out and reaching out. He reached out to me and he's reached out to you. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, God speaking to Moses and he says, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. He's reaching out. It's he who is doing the reaching. And we might say, why would he bother? What's in it for him? What am I that I can be anything to him? We are, a pro we are the problem. I am the problem. It's an interesting thing, and it differs in different translations, and I didn't think of this until right this minute, but there's a... Remember the tax collector went up to the temple to pray, and in some translations it says, have mercy on, on me, a sinner. But the Greek text doesn't have a... It has the. And that, that tax collector said, have mercy upon me, the sinner. I am the sinner. You are the sinner. Each of us is the sinner as we stand before God. We're not just one of a crowd. Each one of us is responsible for our own sin. We're lost and we're powerless and our only hope is to heed his call. Another of the scriptures that's been brought before you, <coughs> Isaiah 43, 11. I, even I, am the Lord and there is no saviour besides me. I, even I, am the Lord and there is no saviour besides me. And in in verse 25 of the same chapter, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sin. Now that's a remarkable statement. He says, I will not remember your sins. So the question is, does God forget? Can God forget? Israel accused him of forgetting. We find that in Isaiah chapter 49. Verse 
wrong bookmark. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 14 to 16. First of all, in verse 14, there's the Jews' complaint. But Zion, that's Israel, Zion said, the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. But then listen. In verses 15 and 16, listen to God's response. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands, the hands of God the Son are pierced through because of our sin. And he has not forgotten us. He will never forget us. And so what you could say about when we read a, a, a statement like this, I will not remember your sin, it's a positive statement. God chooses not to remember. Perhaps even it might be said that he remembers not to remember. It's a positive commitment. Notice that these two verses start, I, even I. I alone am I. There is no one but him who can do it. I am, I am. It's a double statement. It's a double affirmation that God alone is our saviour. And he alone is able to deal with our wrongdoings. He is our sins of commission and our sins of omission. Ezekiel, I mean Exodus 3 and 14, once again, God talking to Moses <coughs> at the burning bush, and he said, I am who I am. Notice, remember, in Exodus 34 and 6, he said, the Lord, the Lord. He repeats it. <coughs> he repeats it for emphasis. And what is it that he wants from us? He says, let us reason together. Let us plead together. It's a reasonable thing for us to do. We need to sit down and listen to what our God has to say to us. God will reason with us at length. And we are to quietly listen. We're not, it's not our place to argue with God. It's not our place to call him to account. It is our place to listen. He is extending the most amazing grace and he will treat us almost as equals. He's bending low to meet us. In Psalm 17 and verse 6, it, the psalmist says, 
turn your ear to me. And Spurgeon, in his Treasury of David, which is a wonderful collection on the Psalms, he says of this, that God stoops out of heaven and puts his ear to our mouth. Stoop out of heaven and put thine ear to my mouth. God listens down because he wants to hear. But now he's listening down, he's reaching down but he, because he wants to cleanse and forgive. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. Here's the issue that God wants to raise with us. But like Adam, we would rather hide away. We'd rather avoid him. Once Adam had sinned, and that fellowship that he had with God was broken, that communion that they had together was, was shattered, and what did Adam want to do? He wanted to go away and hide. And what did God do? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? It was God reaching out to him. It was Adam hiding away and God reaching out and nothing's changed. He wants to resolve it. He wants to, to deal with our sin. He wants us to see the logic of his proposal and respond. They're called scarlet and crimson sins. So there's two kinds. Albert Barnes and Matthew Henry, two of the old divines that are really great commentators to refer to. Albert Barnes says they are these crimson and scarlet sins. They are deeply fixed in the heart as the scarlet colour in the web of the cloth, just like the dye is infused into the web of the cloth. Our sin is infused into our very being. And Matthew Henry said, though our sins have been as scarlet and crimson, a deep dye, a double dye, first in the wool of original corruption and afterwards in the many threads of actual transgression. Though we have often dipped into sin by many backslidings, yet pardoning mercy will take out the stain. So there's two kinds of sin. There's original sin. And that expression always used to bother me a bit because it sounded a bit ecclesiastical somehow. And I used to think that it had something to do with Adam and the apple, but it doesn't. It's not, original sin is not Adam taking the apple and biting it. Original sin is Adam deciding that he's going to turn his back on God and make a decision to go the other way. And in that act of rebellion, in that act of rejection of God and his word, he became a sinner. And that sin entered into his seed. 
so that when he produced an offspring, the sin went with it. And when we were produced as offspring, the sin came with us. The Moody Handbook of Theology very simply puts it, the sinful state and and condition in which men are born. It's inherited sin. The guilt and tendency to sin. Which we inherited from Adam and was communicated to us, as I said, was accumulated having trouble with that word, (laughs) communicated to us at birth that rebellious spirit that wants to be separated from God. Now, the tendency for the human being is to say, sin? What are you talking about? I'm a good person. It's interesting that the whole of the human race is above average. <laughs> it's really interesting. But First John 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And there's a little byplay between God and a man in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 35. And the man says, I am innocent. Surely his anger is turned away from me. And God says, Behold, I will enter into judgment with you because you say, I have not sinned. I have not sinned. In that mere denial we are sinning right in the face of God. I want to look at a verse, or two verses in Romans 5, talking about this business of original sin and what God's done about it. Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. So then, as though, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. That's through Adam. It's come to all of us. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. This is God reaching out. This is his solution to our problem that there's somebody else who has come. Psalm 51 verse 7, David crying out after his sin with Bathsheba and he says, Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. (coughs) Wash me. Wash me, the washing that only God can perform. That done in the blood of the Saviour. That accomplished on the cross during those three awful hours 
of darkness. Whiter than snow, whitened above snow, purer than the purest we can imagine. If we go on the, on the, on the snow in bright sunlight, we need protection. We get snow blindness. Men may dye their souls of this or that hue, but to bleach them, that is the work of God. And so it comes with a promise. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best from the land. If you admit that you're a sinner, if you confess before God and you repent of that sin, you will eat the best of the land. Acts chapter 20 and verse 21, Paul speaking says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the, ne the necessity of, of re repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting from sin Repenting means that there's a change, there's a turning, there's a, a, a complete switch around. I'm going this way and I turn around and I'm going this way. I'm not going away from God any longer, I'm going towards him. He is my desire and I want to please him. You must repent of all that has stained you. Romans 8 and 32, he did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will we not also with him freely, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We talked before about God leaning down to hear, and we talked about God stepping down from his throne and becoming, as it were, a counsel for the defence. But here we have this God stepping down and coming to us to resolve this situation. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That is what he's offering. It's not just to clean us up and make us feel good. God has blessings for us that we cannot even begin to imagine the extent of. But then the passage continues and with a warning. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is God speaking. This is not me. This is on a page. This is the God of heaven speaking, saying, if you refuse and rebel, 
you will be devoured by the sword. If you do not want and you will not listen, this strong double negative says that there are consequences. It speaks of real, stubborn resistance. And to, to resist God, to turn away from Him when He offers to deal with our sin is the most It's the ultimate stubbornness. Such resistance means that you have, and this is the crunch, that it means that you've refused God's protection. Because what, what does it mean when he says you were devoured by the sword? Does that mean that God's up there with a sword and he's going to go, Tum. I don't think so. I suggest that what it means is this. In Romans 8 and 28 it says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. Those who are his, those who belong to him, those he has called, called to himself, he says that whatever happens to them, even if it appears to be a disastrous thing, he will cause that thing to bring blessing. It may not be blessed in itself, but it will bring blessing. But if you refuse him, if you rebel against him, that protection's not there. And so when the, when the, the, the crises of life come, you're on your own. You have no protection. You don't have that protection that God offers. The things that befall you, he can no longer work to produce good. They will take their natural course and bring loss. And the greatest loss of all comes at death. When we depart from this life and the opportunity to respond to him is gone forever. So where to from here? How do we wrap this up? You have, re you have heard the recorded voice of God. None of us can say that we haven't heard God speak. He speaks through his word. His word is infused. is infused with the word of God. He has opened up his great heart of love. We are the guilty ones, but he will deal with that guilt. He has dealt with that guilt. And he will deal with our guilt if we surrender and submit and repent and turn to him. 
If we accept, we will be blessed. But if we refuse, it comes with consequences. Terrible consequences. God, pray God that doesn't happen to anyone here. Let us pray. Our Father, we have heard your word. It's not our word, it's yours. Your heart's desire to cleanse our hearts and make us whole and make us fit for your presence. Not just for now, but for all eternity. What a joy, what a privilege, what a hope that we can be with you for all eternity. We pray for all here, Father, any perhaps who haven't repented, who haven't turned, who haven't opened their hearts to the Saviour, Lord, the prayer is that they do today, now while there is time. May it be so, Father, for your name's sake. Amen.